Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 98 of the Retrospectives podcast, Resident Evil 4. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Turlings. James, we return to the Resident Evil franchise with an absolute bang. I think that for me, at least, and I think also for you, based on the conversations we've had about it, Resident Evil 1, or more specifically, Resident Evil Remake, is probably the best game we've done for the show, full stop. I know for me, uh, even though obviously it's a well-known franchise, a well-known game, uh, it really blew me away just how good that game was. And it's something that has gone down as one of my favorite games of all time probably top 10 games that I've ever played, um, irrespective of the show or not. So I was pretty happy when you announced that we were doing Resident Evil 4. Um, were you um, were you looking forward to doing Resi 4 as much as I was? I mean, you must have been at least a little bit because you're the one who picked it. Yeah, everything you said about, you know, your experience with the first game applies to me too, right? That was like, I don't know about the word life-changing, but it was one of those games that kind of like floored me for months and I was thinking about it, you know, every kind of waking moment after i finished it it was just the you know the perfect game for where i was at at the time um i just i loved how you know suspenseful it was i loved the like the restricted inventory the um the management of resources and having to choose you know whether to avoid zombies or burn their corpses stuff like that just so many interesting, difficult, and challenging gameplay decisions wrapped up in a really tight package with some of the best level design we've ever seen is just really, really great. And it's really hard for, you know, something else to top that. You know, with that said, I was kind of a bit worried about this one, actually, because I know that 4 is a bit of a kind of a reset for the series with a new, you know, brand new character. Um, um, Umbrella is gone, you know, um, it's much more of an action-focused game. There's a bit of an accessibility kind of focus with it to bring in new players. I kind of wanted to go into this one expecting a fresh experience, but hopefully a good one, because I knew that, you know, if I came into this um, with my heart set on, you know, another Resi 1 experience, I was going to be disappointed. So I'm glad... I'm glad I went in it with, you know, that kind of frame of mind because I, I think I ended up enjoying it more for that. And I think it was a good idea to choose this game. Like, obviously, I know that a lot of people regard Resi 2 to be the high point of the entire series, but what Resi 2 does in a lot of ways from what I've seen and what I know about it is that it's basically Resi 1 Plus. It takes a lot of what made Resident Evil 1 great and he builds on it. I think that because we're a show that isn't doing an episode every single week it's more mm. important for us to talk about these more distinct uh video games and we get the opportunity because realistically if we did resi 2 for this yeah. episode we wouldn't be doing resi 4 for another year with how many games there are to play out there so so we've chosen a game that's very different from from the original resident evil games in a lot of ways and i think that's perhaps for the better we just have to keep our minds clear that this game is trying to achieve something very different from what the original Resident yeah, Evil absolutely. games were trying to, even if they are set in the same world and universe. So uh, before we get into our usual introduction, just a bit of news. So uh, basically, we've decided to move the show to a tri-weekly or once every three weeks format. Um, I'm sure this will be disappointing to a lot of people who enjoy the show, but the truth is, and it's mainly on my end, 
I was struggling to finish the games each fortnight in a two-week period, which, you know, sounds pretty slack, but uh, just other things kept cropping up. Because the thing is, I never wanted to be one of those podcasts where one of us, you know, played for three hours and the other person finished it, because you just cannot give proper impressions, proper reviews without seeing a game to the end or maybe very close to the very end at very least. So I'd rather spread out the timing of the podcast in order to present superior episodes of the podcast. And we're sorry we can't do it every fortnight, but we figure once every three weeks is still a decent tempo. So uh, yeah, just making it official once every three weeks. So for those who've never listened to us before, James and I are the Retrospectors podcast. So each and every three weeks from now on, we play a retro game of the past with the intention of reviewing it from a modern perspective. What that basically means is that we're not interested in how well these games were received in the time at which they released. We're not reviewing them on the understanding of technological limitations or anything like that. We're just talking, we've played this game over the past three weeks and we want to talk about our experiences playing it today and whether you should play it in and amongst all the other media that is getting released at a terrifying clip, uh, all the indie games and movies and other experiences you could be having, is it worth going back 20 years to play a game like Resident Evil 4? Uh, what's interesting about this is that sometimes what we discover is that the very things that people criticize these games for being outdated and out of touch and poorly designed, things that in a lot of way modern game has moved on from, we find that sometimes it has a reason for existing and sometimes casually dismissing the things that are holding supposedly holding these games back can be a deadly mistake other times we find that the old games are indeed utter crapola and uh the criticisms are well founded but that's all in fun finding out which side it falls on and sometimes james and i disagree <laughs> on very which side strongly disagree on. <laughs> that's uh that's what makes the show the show i guess so Resident Evil 4, uh, so a quick note on how we played it. James and I actually played uh, in quite different ways uh, this this uh, past three weeks. So James, why don't you tell people a bit about how you played it? Because you, uh, you played probably the superior version to mine. Yeah, so Resident Evil 4 originally came out on the GameCube on 2005. And we're no strangers to emulation because Dolphin is fantastic. And we played Resident Evil 1 that way. Um, there was actually another release, you know, um, on Steam a few years ago, um, which I was reading online before I decided on how to play it, and I got pointed in the direction of this fantastic HD mod that is an utter work of passion by these two brilliant guys, um, and um, basically uh, these two fellows went to the original places where the original team that made the game, you know, got all their texture work, right? Like they went to these shady European towns and took the same photos of the same weird walls and that kind of thing that the original creators did when getting the textures. And, you know, they basically retextured the entire game using the original source material. So I basically, you know, played this modded version of Resident Evil 4 Steam release that looked like it came out yesterday, um, but still had the art direction completely intact because everything was using the original textures, basically. And I have to say that this mod, I think, just is the perfect way to play this game. Um, it fixes 
because originally the game was locked to 30 fps um, in emulators you can crank it up to like 60 um, but there are major graphical problems with that and bugs that will arise the team fixed those bugs they fixed basically everything without changing uh, the source gameplay so i got to play resident evil 4 you know on my 2k monitor at 140 fps with no problems whatsoever all of its options are you know fixable in a little menu that you can bring up with f1 uh, the mod comes with an install wizard so you just need to download it and run it no fiddling around necessary i am honestly like there's a remake of this game coming out you know in the next year or two and i just think that uh, this you know modded version is almost like obsoleting this new game that's coming out in my mind i think this is the absolute definitive way to play this game um you know unlike a lot of other mods uh that kind of harm the original art direction this one is just perfect um i read a lot of reviews and lots of people said they had this weird uncanny feeling where they couldn't tell you know if something was an improved texture or not while playing the game because it's just done so flawlessly yeah it and honestly everything you said makes me wish that i'd played that version not that I had any major issues, uh, so I just emulated the original game on Dolphin, the GameCube version, and it ran well, but you know, the textures are starting to look out, a little bit outdated and stuff. I also had a couple of glitches, uh, one which was minor and one which was, you know, a bit more impactful. The first was I'd get hitching in cutscenes every 10 seconds or so, it would just, it would just hang for, for half a second before resuming. The other one is that my thermal sight didn't work and the thermal sight not working is very problematic in a couple of parts of the game but um i was able to just kind of luck sack my way through those bits just by spewing a lot of bullets so i mean it was it was okay it's not like it was impossible to progress but um it was kind of frustrating because i'm sure those bits would have been significantly easier if i did have a thermal sight uh, but apart from that, I mean, the game ran fine. Dolphin is usually rock solid. It was mostly solid in this instance. But if, as James said, the this this HD mod involved these two guys taking photographs, I mean, they've clearly put in the effort. So, yeah, I would say seems like clear that the best way to play it if you've got access to a pc is this hd mod as uh as james played it yeah it's just it's incredible uh really a work of passion by these two so uh with that in mind it's time to tell you a little bit about resident evil 4. so for those who are completely unaware of this game it's a third person survival horror action game which was first released in 2005 for the gamecube it's the fourth main title in the series and Resident Evil, the kind of numbers of spin-offs and everything is actually utterly ridiculous. They've got titles on the GameCube and DS and they've got spin-offs. In fact, there was another third-person one before Resident Evil 4, but for now we're just going to focus on the main series because it's too complicated to get into in this review. So it's the fourth main title in the series and in regard to those, it dramatically shakes up the formula. So the earlier Resident Evil games, that's 1, 2, and 3, all had a different focus, slightly different focus, but they all had certain things in common. They had fixed camera angles, they had tank controls, and I would say they had a focus on capital S survival horror with resource management and navigating your way through dense and complex level design being a big part of that. 
Resi 4 takes a different approach. We still have something close to tank controls, but you can smoothly ease left and right, making it easier to alter your direction. The camera is probably the biggest change, which is shifted to a third person over the shoulder view, which makes aiming at enemies and shooting enemies a lot more involved and integral to the experience of playing through Resi. The macro level design is straight up linear now. The focus on resource management has been minimized and the game throws way more enemies at you than the earlier Resi titles could have dreamed of. But sometimes it could be up to like 16 enemies Whereas the most enemies you'd ever face in those old Resi games is maybe four. It's, uh, it's a pretty big uh, change in focus. It all adds up to a game that while it shares the same name and world of the earlier games, it's a different kind of experience. So you reprise the role of Leon S. Kennedy, the protagonist of Resi 2, six years after shit went down at Raccoon City. In the meantime, he's received a bunch of special training going from the soft rookie he started out as to a lean and mean action hero. And let me tell you, he's definitely an action hero based off the moves he pulls off in this game. His first assignment as a protector slash bodyguard of the president of the USA is to find and rescue his missing daughter, Ashley. This takes him to an unspecified part of Europe, somewhere probably near Spain, but we never really know exactly, where he finds out that rescuing her is gonna be a lot more complicated than he had hoped for. I think it's worth briefly talking about our broad experience with the Resi games, James, because we often recommend to people that they listen to the first episode in our, um, if we're do ever doing a sequel, that they listen to the first episode first. So we're doing Resi 4, we'd normally recommend that you play re listen to the Resi remake episode, and we still do recommend that. But it is a very different change in focus. So I just thought it would be helpful if we talked a bit about what Resi games we played and what level of experience we're bringing to Resi 4. Yeah, so I really started the series at 7, actually. It was quite late for me. Um, I played through the entirety of that and thoroughly enjoyed it. And then we did one for the show, and that's really all the experience I have with the series up until now. I haven't been a big survival horror, you know, player you know, for a long time, um, you know, with Seven, Silent Hill 2 for the show, and then Resi 1 being, like, really my first, you know, foray into the genre. I'm similarly new to the genre, but I do have a bit of a voyeuristic take on this. Uh, the boys at RKG previously prepared a try. They've done videos on Resi 7, 8, 2 Remake, and 3 Remake, and I've watched all of that, as well as dabbling a bit of I've played about half of the Resi 2 remake myself. And while those are different games to the original, it means that I have a decent grasp on those on the original games, I guess, even if they are a little bit different and they've been changed and modified in some ways. But in terms of playing the games, this is the uh, third Resi game I've played after dabbling in Resi 2 Remake. So I'm still pretty fresh to the series. So James, before we started the show, you said that you wanted to talk a little bit about what led to the shift in design from Resi 1 to Resi 4. Yeah, so to me, um, I think that this happens with a lot of long-running series, right? Is that ultimately, um, you know, ultimately these game companies are a business, right? And they need to bring in new players to keep the series alive. Um, and I think that a lot of games do this thing where, you know, they have 
uh, a long-running series that goes for a while, and at some point they find that they're not bringing new players in, so they need to kind of do a reset. Um, because if you've got like, you know, say you go up to number five in a series, it can be a little unfriendly for a new player to jump in because they kind of, you know, they need to play one, two, three, four um, to play five. So they do a story reset. Um, they add a lot of accessibility. They make a lot of changes to make it more friendly to new players. Um, and, you know, with this, they start getting new players again. And I think to, to me, Resident Evil 4 is absolutely one of these games. Um, and I think the trick to doing this is to do it in a way that doesn't completely alienate your existing player base right like i think um some t i think some series can be a bit uh harsh with this and it can really drive a lot of people off even with this i read a lot i read online a lot that some of the you know the more dedicated fans had a lot of problems with four going forward so i guess i wanted to ask you patrick you know as someone who really enjoyed one and uh a bit of two as well um, did you find this, you know, more accessible approach that shifted the game a lot um, to be off-putting at all? To answer in all honesty, yes, it did at, on some level. Uh, because I loved Resi 1 so much and Resi 4 is not Resi 1. But truth be told, I don't think there's anything wrong with after all that time, which I think was nine years, trying something different and going for a different approach and i guess letting the old games be the old games and it being okay that they're the old games so so for me it was a little off-putting at first I, when i was playing it, i was like this is ridiculous i've got infinite ammo uh what what is going on this isn't the resident evil one remake that i loved and remembered but when I was able to move my mindset into evaluating this game in just a completely different context as if it was a fresh start, then I was able to kind of cleanly separate those two games in my head, even if they do share the same name. Yeah, I think the trick to doing this properly is to have um, your games kind of fluctuate in accessibility, right? Like you have 1, 2, and 3, which, you know, would increase the complexity from one to another and then you drop off and do a bit of a reset um for a few games and then you need to bring it back at some point you know to that classic feel that made your fans like kind of fall in love with the games to begin with because i guess the the expectation is that people who played four would then be told by the other fans of the series how great one two and three were and then they'd go back and play those games and eventually you know be up to speed and be ready for something new and i think this series does that because at seven they do a reset again but it goes back to being much more like the original games um after and i think this was after they went a bit too far with six and a lot of people you know rightly criticized it for being too actiony and having almost no survival horror um they've gone hard in the other direction now back to being a bit more you know, survival horror -y. So I think going, you know, an ebb and flow between accessibility and, you know, catering to your more enfranchised players is, a you know, the best way to do it. Um, and I'm kind of fine with that every few games. I think that four for me, um, I, can't, I, I was expecting this coming into it, but I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised at how a lot of those, you know, systems that I loved from one were still present here to some degree, um, even though if it was a bit lesser um, and more accessible way, um, with maybe only the level design and the map and that kind of stuff 
feeling like it was torn out completely, which was probably my biggest grievance with the game overall. I feel like even more extreme than you do. I think that this is just a completely different game. It shares the same name and there are, listen, I'm not saying there's zero similarities, but I just think that it's focus and the nature of the experience is completely different. Um, It's in the same way that like Fallout 3 is completely different from Fallout 2. Oh, I don't think it's that extreme. I I think it is that extreme, yeah. (laughs) Or the way that classic Doom is different from Doom Eternal. Like I, I think that sometimes games can share the same name and just be completely different gameplay wise and but i I guess even if we disagree on the degree to which they're different when i when i actually think about it rationally it doesn't matter like this isn't our usual sequel comparison episode where the game has where where a game has been iterated on this is a fundamentally different experience Mm. I think you could often argue with games being more accessible that you could theoretically just include a bunch of difficulty options from game to game. But, you know, fundamentally, difficulty settings don't change complexity, right? Like there's no setting that sets your inventory to six <laughs> and there's there's no setting that changes it to fix camera angles and there's no setting that changes it, you know? Yeah. So um, that kind of accessibility change, I think, has to happen from game to game unless you want to include basically three different games in your difficulty it, settings. Eventually, <laughs> things are going to change. You can't just keep yeah. making the same game over and over. And I think that getting upset over it is ridiculous. What we have now is we've got two radically different experiences that are probably pretty respectable in their own right. And that mm. ends up making the franchise richer than if it were seven or eight identical video games. Yeah. Um, So where did you want to start in terms of exploring the game? So I think the natural place to start is definitely the story. We normally like talking about the story first to set the scene. Um, At a baseline, James, this story didn't do much for me. Uh, It's the same schlocky, campy, B-grade horror stuff with ridiculous villains, a plot that makes no sense, and terrible dialogue and delivery. Uh, I will say this seemed to be winking at the camera a bit more than it was in Resi 1. It was a bit more aware of how terrible it was. But in general, uh, I'm kind of like whatever about this stuff. The the main plot in Resi games has never really appealed to me very much. Yeah, so this is probably, this is one of the first ways I think the games become more accessible, actually. I think um, the story is even goofier than it has been previously in a, in a you know, what in an attempt to take the edge off the tension um and this mm. and i don't just mean in the cutscenes and the narrative and the dialogues i mean in the actual gameplay too this bleeds over um and i would agree with you in terms of the main plot i think it's quite bad and boring um i think all the villains would be forgettable if a lot of them didn't have such great quotes basically like they're entertaining in a very schlocky silly way mm. they're not good characters uh, I mean, you can argue that a good character is a memorable one, right? I think mm. that's the kind of characters these are. Well, They're the merchant not... ends up being the most memorable character, <laughs> not yeah. any of the villains, which maybe tells you something about how memorable they actually yeah. are. Yeah, they're, they're rememberable in a quotable, silly, funny kind of way, right? They don't yep. have good motivations or anything like that. Um, I thought they were entertaining. I certainly thought this was better than like Resi 1, for example, which mm-hmm. I thought was god awful um, story wise. Um, but I think that this game's tone and atmosphere actually 
is really great when you're not in like a cutscene or reading something. Mm-hmm. In game, there's lots of like incidental slapstick humor that sometimes comes naturally from the gameplay and sometimes is a bit, you know, more heavily designed. I think in this situation, for example, um, you'll sometimes you'll be fighting enemies on bridges or high objects, and if you shoot them in the leg, they will make like a screaming sound and then fall off the ledge. And if you like shoot enemies rapidly, they will all do that one after another, and it looks hilarious and stupid. Um, and there's stuff like that all through the game. Later on in the game, there's this door that opens, and behind it is three crossbowmen. Um, and you know, it closes, it opens, they shoot you, it closes, it opens, they shoot you. Um, you shoot the three crossbowmen and then the door closes again and immediately opens. And now there's five crossbowmen behind the doors. Like that got a laugh out of me. Stuff like that. Yeah. The, um, the other funny bit was, you know, that statue, the giant statue of the Napoleon midget with the moving hands, like that yes. whole combat sequence where they're ju- trying to jump between the hands is just it looks so utterly silly. stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Or like there's that room that has, you know, those paintings that open and there's like zombies with rpgs behind yeah, exactly yeah that was funny i was like what stuff, stuff like that is great actually um and i think that kind of incidental humor um is something that the game does really well for itself actually so even though i think a lot of the narrative is quite mediocre you know there's codec calls that are basically just there to tell you what to do that's fine in game design wise um but the story it's so bad it's like, not it's not scary. I, I would say Resi Remake is scarier in its atmosphere than this yeah. game by a significant margin. But like I said, I think the game is very self-aware with its implementation. It, no, it's not trying to be scary. So in the same way. Uh, one thing that I will point out, I, I don't know if this is scary, but this game does do body horror very well. Uh, some of the death scenes in this... Some of them are goofy, but some of them are bloody brutal. Like, were you ever killed by the um by those invisible insects in the sewers? Uh, don't think I got killed by one. Yeah. Well, what what happens is they breathe. They basically uh, put acid on your head till your skull melts off. And oh, I didn't see, see that. That's see great. In fact, there are many fantastic death, custom death animations. I don't know how many they've implemented in this game, but there must be like 50 because every time there's an obstacle, there's a unique death animation associated with it. It's great. You never just take damage and fall over and die. It's always something terribly gruesome. Yeah. One thing I did like is there's actually lots of cutscenes that are missable um, if you don't go to the area or interact with it at a certain order. Mm. Um, and I think that adds this, like, it's like reactive, right? I find that kind of thing quite enjoyable. Um, I think that something that they did well was there is, it, it feels like they basically went through all of the script, all of the cutscenes in this Japanese game, um, and extracted all of the, like, exposition dumps, um, from the cutscenes and put them into these notes that you can find in the world so that mm-hmm. the cutscenes don't get bogged down by exposition. And if you, you know, you've played the game already, you don't need to suffer through it if you've already read the notes. 
Yeah, and it's something that I've always liked. I like it when we can engage with the story at our own pace when we choose mm. to do so. And so the cutscenes end up being the guy, evil guy cackling maniacally while Leon says bad one-liners. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, yeah, I, I think it's a better way to do story than having them talk to one another for 10 minutes. Uh, I've started playing the beginning of Kingdom Hearts, James, and I want to have shoot you? myself. I have, yeah. Really? Why? <laughs> really. I'm so surprised. That's... Uh, someone, someone got me onto it. So okay, uh, it's uh, it, it's it's progressing. But man, the cutscenes in that game. Oh boy, it's every few seconds. There's more cutscenes in gameplay. It feels absolutely. Like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I did have another point about this story, and this is like I think a broader point about Resi Resident Evil in general with all of their games, but it's also true of Resi 4 so I think it's worth noting I don't think the primary narrative is really the thing that attracts people to Resident the Resident Evil games and why people get so invested in these stories I think it's their world building uh you know and all of the mythos surrounding Umbrella and the dodgy things they're up to and I think that Resident Evil 4 does this really well basically whenever a Resi game starts it seems like you're dealing with the supernatural you're dealing with something that is incomprehensible. Uh, in this case, you're starting off in some random European uh, medieval village, and these villagers are attacking you with medi you know scythes and they're throwing axes at you. And it's a it's a far more traditional kind of like take on on zombies and horror. But then as you move through the game. Uh, it kind of peels back in layers. Like uh, we move on to the cultists and then finally we inevitably move on to the scientific reason for all these things happening. There's an evil corporation and there's a lab and there's awful experiments and there's it's all because of money. And I think the way that it links the more voodoo horror of its earlier stages to the more scientific horror of its latest stages is something that this game does fantastically the story evolve the the world evolves as you progress through these games and it's kind of always very satisfying to get to the root of the conspiracy and you get to get to the root of the conspiracy in all these games so i just want to praise resi 4 for the escalation at which it unpeels the layers of its story and lets you get to the truth of things um, even if like the path you take to get there is kind of rubbishy. Yeah, it's weird because I think that the best parts of the narrative's progression comes from the uh, escalation of the enemies that you fight because narratively the enemies that you fight, you know, make sense in context of the story. They're getting more mm -hmm. monstrous. And to me, that's where the game does a good job of, you know, um, delivering the narrative of this issue with the, you know, with the townspeople. Actually... I was convinced at the beginning that I was just killing normal people for a while. <laughs> it was like, it was great. Um, Man, and that's then, way too dark for this kind of game, I think. I thought it was really funny, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, have, you seen, have you seen Black Mirror? I have not. There, oh yeah, there's an episode of Black Mirror that does something like that. It's quite good. Yeah. Um, I thought the way they introduced the parasite enemies first, they don't have a cutscene, it just happens. Like you just mm -hmm. blow something's head off and then it's not dead and it should be dead um i thought that was great <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty uh rough it's also completely random i think maybe the first one is scripted but probably not it's probably just in that group of enemies there's a random chance for it to happen and you have to deal with it as it happens 
But basically, I don't have any major notes on the story. I don't think you should play Resident Evil 4 for the story, but at least it's it, it's a bit of fun. Is I mean, probably from what I've seen online, on people it. like the characters, right? Um, they like the quotes. Uh, they like they? the... Yeah, they do like that. There are people who do like that stuff. Um, I so. guess. I, I kind of feel... It almost feels like shared trauma to me. Like, people like the games, and as a result, they find it funny to quote quote it endlessly. I don't know if that makes it good. I kind of have this feeling... You know, shows like The Office, which to me have always been, like, decent shows, people love quoting The Office. It's their favorite thing in the whole world. <laughs> and I think that says less for the quality of the show and more that the show is kind of inoffensive and you know it's got its moments and everything but i i don't think the story is great i just think it's uh easy easy to uh to indulge in i will say i think um the fact that this game is a large part an escort mission with a secondary character ashley um she is a complete non-character um she has like no lines of dialogue you like you spend like four hours and then you rescue her. She says literally nothing until a few hours later with some other cussing. It's just really weird. There is no interaction between these two characters until like the very end. It's Yeah, bizarre. she's a plot device, right? Yeah, it's a glorified plot device. And I think uh, basically every modern game would have these characters talk to each other. Maybe that's intentional. Maybe they don't because it I, undermines the the tension or whatever. But this game doesn't have much tension to begin with, so I don't think you'd be losing much. I think have. the reason that interaction stands out so much is that in modern times we've seen a few um, very highly regarded games with like a father son and father daughter mechanic, namely yeah. God of War and, and the Last, Last of, of Us. Us. Yeah. yeah, and they so talk to it, each other constantly, and it's... they have interesting characterization. So it probably stands out particularly because you would kind of be expecting this kind of game to have at least something resembling that dynamic yeah yeah and it just does not have it whatsoever it's very bizarre i found it very weird during the entire game honestly yeah it didn't stand out to me as much i mean i haven't played those games so perhaps that's why <laughs> but i i can i can understand why that would be a thing that stands out yeah all right, so that story, it's, you know, it's okay. Um, we'll, we'll go to a music break and then we'll finally start talking about the gameplay running on 40 minutes here. Um, Patrick, what did you think of the music in this one? The music is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I wouldn't say every single track is amazing. There was one uh, in the castle in particular that felt a little off, a little light. But for the most part, particularly when those battle themes start, and, you know, I'm normally not super high on the battle themes in games it's usually the more chill themes that that grab my attention but i thought the battle themes in this were fucking great you've got these deep heavy drums and you've got this it's almost industrial the kind of noises it's that very oppressive out. yeah it, and and the thing is it really helps feed into the atmosphere when shit is hitting the fan because unlike resi you know the classic resi games uh having action orientated music in that game made less sense because the situations were not very action heavy. You'd be shooting two zombies that you'd planned to kill 20 minutes ago with the ammo you'd brought from the safe room. It was the action in those games was not really the high point of the experience. In this game, the action is everything. And I think that the music does everything perfectly to underscore the, uh, the tension of those action sequences. So fantastic music, really good soundtrack. And listening back to the soundtrack 
I could remember the places where I was having each of those encounters versus the Colossus or the villages or even specific bosses, uh, the, the theme brought them to mind. So very memorable, very oppressive, very appropriate. Uh, thumbs up. Personally, I just think that Patrick likes it because somebody figured out how to make ambient droning into an action <laughs> theme. <laughs> Is that how you describe it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, any of the mm. like the Gunado tracks are basically just high octane mm. ambient drones. Shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fuck. You may have me there. Actually, that's a great point. I mean, there is some harsh violins and stuff, but you're right that it's not exactly orchestral. No. Doesn't carry much of a melody. No. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe you're onto something, James. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I. Think we'll choose one of those to begin with so i'm going to pick ganado 2 because it was my favorite um this is ganado 2. with that we can start talking a bit about the gameplay pat where did you want to begin should probably begin with something a bit more high level um probably the structure of the game is a good place to start just to set the scene because the way this game plays out is once again very different from the classic resident evils where you start in the middle of a mansion or in a central location and have to progressively unlock doors around the place with kind of semi-open-ended level design this is a far more linear affair. Yeah, it's absolutely linear. You have a map um, that shows you uh, every room in the current area, whether or not you've explored it. Um, you know, it's just the map is auto-filled immediately. And there is a big red dot telling you where to go. So there is basically no need for you to figure out how to proceed. You just go, you know, on the shortest route to your destination possible. And that's always the correct choice. Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, a big departure from the series and one that honestly I was a bit upset about because I like labyrinthine level structure and working, but you know, I forgot about it after all. It's fine. Um, I think I it's, I think it's just worth pointing out here. Linear level design isn't bad. Yeah. Linear level design is actually massively underdone nowadays, uh, in favor of these stupid open worlds. And my main criticism of Elven Ring is that it is an open world game and not a linear and game yeah imagining that game if they'd actually put that time and effort into making it a linear game with a more i guess with a better difficulty curve oh man they could have made the best souls game ever mm. instead they made something that is still very good in its own right but to me has a lot of significant problems and most of those problems can be traced back to its open world. Yeah, and I've always preferred linear games, honestly, um, until very recently where I discovered that I really like being lost and figuring out where to go in games. Um, hmm. But one thing I wanted to highlight otherwise um, is that I think this game does a very good job at allowing you to play long sessions by varying very intentionally you know, um, the intensity of the gameplay. 
Um, something that a lot of games, like good games, do is that they'll have big sections of high-octane action that is really fun, um, and then they'll have an extended sequence, you know, where you can chill out a bit, right? So in Resident Evil 4, this, you know, there's a big action sequence, and then you'll walk through a few rooms up slowly, maybe there'll be one or two enemies, you'll walk around picking up lots of loot, because this game showers you in loot, there's loot everywhere, breaking boxes, rummaging through um, chests of drawers, like looking in the corners of rooms, that kind of Shoot, thing. Shooting shooting gems off the roof, yeah. opening compartments behind paintings. Stuff like that, yeah. And, you know, uh, messing around with the shop. You have a big, you know, Tetris grid Diablo-style inventory in this game. There's a lot of moving stuff around in there, buying new stuff, perusing the store, upgrading weapons. So you'll generally do like a mix of this kind of thing um, in between the big action sequences. And generally the game does follow this formula where you do big action scene and then a random mishmash of low intensity stuff and then another action scene. And to me that, you know, I was able to play, I reckon maybe eight hours in a row without, you know, taking much of a break. Um, and I find that in general games that do this allow me to do that. Um, and you can also just play really short sessions and feel um, satisfied because each of the action sequences has a clear beginning and end to it. So you can feel satisfied with a singular, you know, room, basically. Yeah, so what you're talking about, James, is basically the pacing of the game, right? It's great. Yeah, I thought it yeah. was fantastic. And And I think that the other thing worth noting here is that, at least for me, for the two thirds of the game, the game never felt repetitive. Uh, yep. I think it started to head that way for the final third of the game, which uh, we can move into later. But I think part of being able to play for eight hours is you never sink into a state of, oh, this is boring. Oh, I'm doing the same thing. Those set pieces that you mentioned are straight up some of the best set pieces I've encountered in a video game ever. And they're all completely different in some ways, right? They yep. feel very different to each other. So you never feel like, even though the structure is kind of predictable of like action scene, you know, low intensity action scene, it doesn't feel repetitive because, you know, you change environments pretty drastically uh, throughout the course of the adventure and you do pretty different things, right? Like the, the encounter design is fantastic in this game. You do things like you explore a hedge maze and dogs jump through the bushes to ambush you while you do this little hedge maze puzzle, or there is a set of ruins that have bear traps through it and you kind of have an elevated position so you can kind of like lure zombies into bear traps or you are on a minecart in a semi on rails section, although you can walk around on the cart, stuff like that. There's just heaps of completely different sections that are all really fun in their own right. To, um, name, to name a few more, because I think it's worth just going into the sheer variety. You have the section in the sewers with the invisible insects. You've got uh, bits where uh, that whole room that's covered in water, where which starts out in an ambush, and then you eventually have to protect Ashley as she activates two switches. Um, you've got the bit which ends up with you chasing a guy around the room. That's the room with the guys with the two rocket launchers. Yep. That Oh no, that's a separate room, isn't no, it? No, it's the same. That's a separate. Uh, no, it's a separate. Yeah, yeah they're connected. Yeah, it, this though. is a thing. Completely separate room. The next, this other room where you're chasing the guy around ends up hit with him on a gatling cannon in the middle of the room after you move from area to area. Like the game continually throws 
new spins on what you're doing at you and it's always fun and interesting the other thing i want to point out with this james which i think is like the critical thing that i think escalates resi 4's set pieces above and beyond most of the set piece cinematic games that exist is that it is always still using the fundamental mechanics of yep. the video game yes. always you're always still moving around shooting enemies um watching your ammo changing weapons for the situation they keep changing up the context in which you are playing the video game but they're not like putting you on a turret or here's a vehicle section or whatever else these games throw well, at you. Well, there actually is a vehicle section, except this vehicle is basically like a big rectangular platform that you can walk on. <laughs> that you shoot enemies on, yeah, right? Yeah, so it's almost yeah. the, it's just the same as everything else. And I agree with that, and I had that in my notes too, right? Like, the mm. fundamental gameplay is the same. Um, you know, they didn't reinvent the wheel or make you do a bunch of dumb mini games. There's... A mini game in this game which is just a shooting gallery and you use the normal shooting controls right you can still walk yep. around to adjust your aim um you know so there's no half-baked systems in here cluttering things up everything you know makes use of the really solid fundamentals that the game has and it's much better for it um while still retaining the variety that those other systems you know in those games seek in that sense I think you could say that the structure of this game, I don't think it's crazy to say, is probably the strongest, single strongest part of this game. And it's got a lot of good parts to it, but the fact that it's a, a third-person action game that never really sinks into repetition or dullness is remarkable. Particularly when you look at what how third-person shooters nowadays are tremendously boring with their shooting mechanics. <laughs> This game doesn't really get boring. It does get a bit repetitive at the end, but I would never say it was a boring video game. It might have been a bit too long is the only thing I reckon near the end. Um, but, you know, I wasn't bored ever, basically. Mm. Should we sh should we talk a bit about that uh, that shooting, James? And probably even more importantly, the control scheme which underpins it. Yeah, sure. So this is a third-person video game. Uh, the way that the aiming works is that you need to hold down a button to go into manual aiming, and then you can move your cursor around the screen. So what's different about this compared to modern third-person shooters is firstly, the basic control scheme is kind of tank controls plus. It isn't quite strictly tank controls because you can turn left and right while moving, which does a lot to smooth things out. When you're playing the classic Resi games, you are doing a lot of like awkwardly backing up and turning on the spot in order to move the direction you want to go it's not it's not quite that bad but it is a lot more restrictive than a free control scheme um with your aiming you cannot shoot and move you can't even reload and move so you are kind of a fixed platform with a lot of your movement and you might say on the face of it that this is bad that your ability to move and control your character is restricted and therefore it feels bad but i would say that this restricted control scheme is a big reason of what makes the game so fun and threatening to play yeah i'd agree with that um to me uh the best part about the combat was really the enemy design and how much effort that was put into every single you know individual enemy um specifically i think that 
all of the enemies in this game are very fair and very telegraphed in their attacks while not being like pushovers. Um, and the second thing is that they're all extremely reactive. Um, every enemy has localized hitboxes, you know, on their head, on their legs, on their hand. Um, you can shoot weapons out of their hands if you have good aim. If an enemy that throws an axe throws an axe at you, you can shoot the axe midair and it'll fly off. Uh, you can shoot enemies in the legs and they'll fall over. Um, and generally, wherever you hit them, they'll kind of flinch in a way that makes sense for where you shot them. Like, every enemy in the game reacts like that, I think. Um, and the only criticism I really had is that I think when enemies fall on the floor, they don't have as much reactivity to where you shoot them. But it's it's a minor complaint when, you know, it, just mm. the crazy amount of detail, you know, enemies feel very, very reactive. And I think the game is massively improved for it. Yeah, it basically makes shooting enemies feel very satisfying, right? Like, because you're getting those enemy reactions. I also think, as you said, there's a, it's not just an aesthetic thing. There is a big gameplay part to it as well. Because getting enemies to flinch is extremely yeah. important to stop getting overwhelmed. If if you shoot an enemy in the chest, they're not, which is the easiest part of their body to shoot, you're not going to stop that that enemy in their tracks in the same way as if you shot a limb uh, that, that's holding a weapon or their face to make them flinch for a second. I also definitely used it to, you know, yep. those regenerators that I kind of needed the thermal sight for. I did a lot of run-bys by shooting them in the leg <laughs> and then sprinting by them rather than try to kill them. So that was a strategy that I could use to uh, to try and deal with that enemy rather than just use the kill every enemy in front of me as part of my arsenal. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that basically shooting enemies in this game feels really good. There's a lot of depth. As you said, you've got the um the guys who throw axes at you and guys who throw dynamite at you. And man, it will never not be satisfying shooting a stick of dynamite as they go to throw it and then blowing up in the process. And the levels really accommodate the enemies, like particularly early in the village, right? There's stuff that the enemies can interact with. So you're in a barn, right? And there's a ladder. You climb up the ladder and then the enemy will walk to the ladder, and then it'll start climbing the ladder after you. Uh, not only that, but you can get the ladder and you can kick it over while the enemy's on it, and it, the ladder will fall over and the enemy will fall over with the ladder, and then get up, and then actually the enemies will work together to put <laughs> the ladder back up, which caught me off guard the first time it happened. Like, they actually really try to get around the stuff you can pull, you know? You can push dresses and stuff in front of doors, they'll try to break windows to get into the house, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the enemies react with the environment as much as you can, which it just makes the world feel like really alive and like a real place. It was awesome. Okay, so now that I've sung my praises of this system, I think it's worth getting into some of my criticisms of it because okay. I think that while everything we've said is true about how good this system is, I think in practice there are actually some problems with this system that makes it not flow quite as well as you might hope. Okay. So the first is that I feel like there is an overwhelming most of the time not in the so i want to distinguish two things firstly your ambush encounters versus your non-ambush encounters because i think they're very different in the non-ambush encounters 
I feel like there is a real push to play as defensive as you possibly can. Uh, to the point where I think that the game loses a lot of its potential tactical depth. So the thing about this control scheme is that you're very, it's very hard to be aware of your surroundings because you can, you're only seeing like, what is it, 90 to 150 degrees at a time and you can't freely turn around. So it's difficult to maneuver yourself. So there's no real upside to being in the middle of enemies. This isn't like Doom where you're, where projectiles are coming in from every area and by circle strafing, you're going to avoid enemies. No, I found that if I was in a scenario where there were lots of enemies in a location and I wasn't being ambushed, so my back was safe, pretty much sitting in place and letting enemies come to me and letting them group up as they came to me was always going to be the better strategy than advancing. Did you find that was the case with you as well, James? Well, absolutely, yeah. Well, generally, I think that most of the combat arenas you find yourself in are designed to allow kiting of enemies in circles if you, you know, uh, position properly and allow them to follow you at the right angles. And to me, that's really intentional. Uh, this is, you know, a survival horror game. It's, it is much more action-focused, but I do think you would lose something if um, the game easily allowed you to be super aggressive and rush forward at enemies rather so, than so you back think it's away. so you think it's okay that i just got my back to a corner safely and basically just let the shooting gallery approach me because this is where we come to to me is the second piece of this puzzle which is that the shotgun is overpowered as fuck particularly compared to the pistol because you can knock down six seven enemies once they get close to you and your shotgun has 12 bullets in it and yeah. you don't reload one shell at a time you reload the entire thing at once there's really no tactical downside when you're facing 16 enemies to have your back to safety to have enemies approach you and then shoot them in a clump or throw a grenade at them in a clump and i found that a lot of the i guess nuance of the game was lost in the face of me employing this defensive strategy okay i never actually stood still ever basically because i was like oh that'll get me killed um i never tried to stand still if, if you're back to counted. safety if your back's to safety there's no reason you can't stand still and in fact standing still lets you line up that shot to shoot your shotgun mm. at the last possible second to get as many enemies as you can in an AoE. I would have thought that if there's a ranged enemy, like you need to take that out because otherwise it'll hit you and stagger you and then something will grab you. Um, yeah, so so if it's an enemy throwing axes, the shotgun just will deflect the axes effectively, far more effectively than trying to shoot them with a pistol. And yep. if there's an enemy with a crossbow, the way I'd count safety would be out of sight of the crossbow. So there is almost always a corner that you can sit in uh, to basically chill out and let the enemies approach you. And it's certainly the safest way to do so. Um, at least uh, whenever I was in a situation where I was literally, literally advancing on the enemy, playing defensively was always the best strategy for both my safety and to conserve ammo. I don't think... Okay, I don't think that... Um... Like, play, like the need to play defensively i think is fine and fits in with the genre and what the game's trying to do mm. i think it is a problem that you can stay in the same spot for an entire encounter not have to move basically yep. um i never tried that so you know i didn't have that problem but 
Uh, if I had, I would probably definitely agree with you that that would be boring and repetitive. Um, so but maybe maybe there's an enemy type or attack they need to add in to stop, like force you to move. Maybe like a ground, like if they put fire or something on the ground that requires you to move out of it. Yeah, or you could get ambushed from the ground, like an enemy could pop up behind you. But this is all to say, so that's the downside, right? But the reason I've distinguished ambush from non-ambush is that when you get ambushed, there is no safety. You don't have a corner you can back yourself into mm. because, and the, that seminal, like incredible encounter when you first step into that water room and there's two crosswire guys and there's guys in front of you and they start running around the outside to get to your back. Fantastic. And every single time the game did this, the game turned into an absolute marvel. Like this is the game at its best because you had to push forward through the ambush in some capacity, also desperately trying to keep an eye on your back. And you were forced, I guess, into an aggressive posture to, I guess, for give yourself some defensive space. I think the game is firing on all cylinders there and the game's awesome when it does that. Oh, I was the I most did... defensive in that encounter. Like that was the where I felt the most defensive in that. Wow, one. yeah. See, for those encounters, I, I basically, the way I approached them was the safest thing to do was to clear enemies out in front of me. And once I did that, I would be building myself space to eventually establish a defensive... Mm corner but if enemies are coming at you from two different directions you don't really have an easy way of dealing with it so my solution run at them create safety in a cone in front of me well, what? you know knock them down don't even kill them and keep moving and then i'll have some actual room to maneuver yeah i guess i guess i kind of did the same like i would shoot one in the legs and then run into a spot where they would like by coming towards me they would clump up and then i could throw a mm. grenade um, yeah, and then I, I, I kind of did that as well. around in a circle in that room. Um, right. I mean, the other other ambush is like that one where that cage slams on top of you with the mini boss. And, oh my god, and that was are dropping nuts. in. Yeah, like yeah, but but those situations basically whenever the game, I guess because your your field of view is so limited. So whenever the, I felt the game was abusing that field of view where it was like saying ha ha we're gonna put enemies behind you yeah that's when the game was at its best I when i was moving in a straight line i felt like i was i i felt under basically no danger i never died once when i was mm. advancing in a straight line all of my deaths came from quick time events boss fights and those ambush scenarios and so yeah i i just want to say that i think that a fair critique of resi 4 is that it can be too easy with how strong see, the shotgun is see i thought that the game did a pretty good job of forcing you to vary your play style right like the enemies they introduce require different things from you so there's enemies that have helmets so you can't keep mm. headshotting them there's enemies that have big shields so you need to shotgun really close to break their shield or you need to set them on fire because the shields are made of wood or you can mm. just like blast away until the shield disappears something like that um there was the enemies that are blind and you need to use sound to lure them either into yep. other enemies or into the wall i love those enemies they're fun that, they're basically boss fights yeah that when room that had of two yeah. of them in that room in that loop and the two bells oh my god you, you shoot the bells and they both like rush towards it it's great and you shoot them in the back um yeah i i, I don't know i i just felt like for all that the other issue i would say is that i think that the pistol is underpowered and i think that 
I know that it's basically as powerful as the pistol in Resi 1 or 2, and I think that was a mistake. With the enemies it throws you at, the pistol should be a bit stronger. If they want to nerf it, they should reduce the amount of ammo they give you for it. Uh, but the truth is that even if there are two enemies coming at you, just two, and there are almost always more than two, the pistol is barely good enough because you have to juggle headshots between them to stop one rushing you in. Well, I use the pistol the most by far because early into the game, there's this thing where if you shoot these blue things hidden in the scenery, mm -hmm. um, you get the penetration. Yeah, you get it. You right. get a yeah, yeah. yeah. You get a pistol that can shoot through one enemy and hit the one behind it. And mm -hmm. basically, I would just use that to shoot like two enemies' legs at once and knock them both down, and then I would mm -hmm. run up and knife them while they were on the oh, ground and then they would both die so i didn't really use the pistol to actually kill things but it was very valuable and cheap ammo conservation wise i use the pistol a lot as well and by the end of the game i was i fully upgraded the red nine which when it's fully upgraded it oh, does i didn't five, buy that quite <laughs> yeah it does five damage a bullet when it's fully upgraded like so it becomes quite good but for me it was Anytime I got into a situation with a few enemies, it was just shotgun because the thing is a beast. The fact that it knocks down and does AoE damage and you don't really run out of ammo for it if you're using it when they're clumped up, uh, it just made it obscenely strong. I tried to use the, so, the rifle a bit more in some situations, whereas before yes. like I was just using it for long distance. Where well, the rifle has that penetrative ability yeah. as well. So it, you can definitely line up some sweet collats uh, with, with it. But yeah, I, I just wanted to really put out there because I think that I, I do think the game is basically too easy when you're when you're moving through a level shooting enemies. Um, and uh, yeah, not not a big fan. I, I will say I there was one part of the game that's meant to be extremely triumphant, like a really fun, cool go usa part of the game that i was so pissed off at the bit with the helicopter man i was really looking forward to a challenging advanced thing against people with rpgs and everything and then the <laughs> helicopter just does everything for you yeah i hated that part of the game yeah um my game actually crashed right at the end and i had to do it a second time so <laughs> that was a bit frustrating um yeah. it was the only crash in my whole game though so I want to go back to progression mm -hmm. and talk like the way they introduce new enemies is like perfect to me, right? Like you start mm -hmm. off the game fighting these villagers and there's a variety of them. There's this lady with a pitchfork, this guy with an axe, a guy with a Molotov. Um, and you fight those for a while and then eventually you walk through a door um, and you see two enemies in front of you um, and you kill one of them and this thing just bursts out of its neck and this huge tentacly mass, you know, is now smacking you from a fair distance away from it. That I thought that moment when you first see that happen is mm -hmm. like, that was great. I'm so glad there was no cutscene. It just happened unexpectedly. Um, you know, as you go through the game, they introduce more and more. And my absolute favorite part of the entire game, which Patrick probably didn't like as much, um, mm. was the first time you encounter the Regenerators, which I thought were the most enjoyable enemy to fight in the game. Um, and really the only part of this game that made me feel like really anxious and tense like a good horror game should. Those things are fucked. <laughs> um, 
You basically, like, they regenerate if you shoot their arms off. They grow their arms back instantly. Their heads grow back instantly. They basically, you need a special thermal scope <laughs> on your rifle, which was broken for Patrick. Yeah, and, not great. In order to see these, like, you know, glowing things on their body that you need to shoot. And you can only use it on the sniper rifle. And you only ever fight these things in extremely close quarters. So it's very tense trying to like awkwardly use this super zoomed in scope on these like relentlessly advancing enemies that are quite close to you. It's very harrowing. I, I love that bit of the game. Those enemies are great. Yeah, and if you knock them down, they start like jumping at you from the floor like a magic carp, and it's like they they will catch up to you. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not like... like you can even knock them down because normally in this game knocking an enemy down buys you like seven seconds like enemies do not get up quickly you knock these guys down and it barely matters they in fact i'd say they're faster yeah when they're when, when they're, they're flopping down. at you yeah yeah so it kind of flips it on its head and it's very effective yeah and then you there's this like a second stage to them where they start like these like pin cushions start bursting out of them and... yeah so you can't run past them that's no, the, that was the problem with they, those guys they basically like the thing with all the enemies is that they build on what you of a player has learned. Like with the parasites that burst out of the neck, I was conserving ammo by running up and knifing people. You cannot run up to those things. They will hit you nope. before you get there. Like every subsequent enemy kind of invalidates the dominant strategies that you've figured out before. And those regenerators are like the pinnacle of this. It's like nothing works against them and you don't get the thermal scope until a few rooms after you encounter them for the first time so they just mm -hmm. you just have to run past them and run for dear life i you know burnt half my ammo trying to kill one and then just had to run away it was terrifying and to me that was you know definitely the best part of the game <laughs> even a simple thing like enemies wearing metal masks so you can't headshot them just changes things dramatically because you're relying on those headshots a lot of the time with a sniper rifle to deal with enemies. You can't do it, you're like, shit, it's going to take me two shots every single time. And that may not seem like much, but in this game, the difference between one shot and two shots is night and day. Yeah. I, I think it's also worth mentioning the enemy AI. Really good. It's really good. These, these enemies... So... First up, most of these enemies are aggressive. There are a few enemies that snipe you, like the guys with the crossbows, but for the most part, these enemies are coming at you. But the way in which they're coming at you is not just walking at you in a straight line. Oh, no. Some of them will, when you're aiming your crosshair at them, will swing to the side. They will actively dodge yeah. you aiming at them. Uh, the thing that got me the most was enemies will vary their speed that they're coming at you. Yep. They'll be ambling along slowly, you'll shoot that mate, and all of a sudden they're gunning at you full sprint. So while your first sniper rifle shot, you would have been like, it's okay, I can take these guys out one-on-one. -on -one. All of a sudden there's a guy running at you with a flail, and you have to ra immediately change your strategy and everything you are trying to do. Uh, the reactive AI in this game is great and does a lot to add to the tension and sense of danger. Yeah, it's specifically, it's not trying to fuck you over. Um, it's not like, when the enemies sprint at you, they don't sprint into melee range and immediately hit you. They sprint up much closer and then they slow down again to give you time to react. The enemies are very fair, like the crossbows will run into view and then they'll spend like three seconds lining up their shot. 
um, sometimes less, sometimes more. It's always the perfect amount of time that you did have a chance to react to them. Mm -hmm. But if you were a bit slow, you would get hit. Also, um, the crossbow guys shoot at you when you're in cover. So you hear thunk, thunk, thunk. Then you can get out of cover and you've got a window to kill them. It's yes. not like you're getting hit scanned with a crossbow bolt the moment you run out of cover. Yeah, it's very fair. I was very impressed with the AI in this game. It knows exactly when to pressure you and when to back off a bit to give you some and breathing space. A large part of that is the fact that the enemies are running in to hit you in melee range. Like, I think that one of the things that makes third-person shooters so dull and boring to play is that when everyone has guns, it's just press a button to hide and cover when the, and then duck out and shoot some heads, rinse and repeat, while they're all sitting behind their own chest-high walls. And chest-high wall against chest-high wall just isn't interesting. When you remove the chest-high walls and everyone's running at you, all of a sudden it gets interesting real quick because there's a sense of danger there. So mm. this is a third-person shooter that is not a third-person cover shooter, and I think that those are two very different things. Overall, James, the word I would use for this kind of gameplay is that it's tactical. Yep. This is a tactical third-person shooter. In that sense, it's closer to something like Halo than it is other third-person shooters because while it doesn't have the macro decision level planning of Resi 1, it has a lot of decision-making in the moment-to-moment -moment execution of trying to win this battle against these 14 enemies and for me this is the distinction between the ambush and the uh and the advancing sections is that in the ambush it felt very dynamic in how i approached it and the game does a lot to keep it dynamic there's people sniping you those people with the crossbows are running around some of the enemies you kill will have things sprout from their head sometimes you shoot a shotgun blast and you won't kill enemies but you'll knock a couple down sometimes the enemies as we said the ai changes they start running at you there's just a lot to mix up the flow and pacing of these individual encounters yes yeah completely agree the combat is incredible um the enemies are incredible i think that together and the fact that all of the extra bits that aren't the main gameplay are actually the main gameplay in disguise really adds a lot one thing that i also liked is that all of the side missions were effectively you know training your aim um in disguise right like the first mm. mission was to find these blue things and shoot at them it's basically like there are no enemies around sit there slowly aiming at these blue things in hard to reach spots to train your aim there is treasure hidden in the environment usually it's like on the ceiling or somewhere weird and you have to shoot it down that's just training your aiming you know in the form of you know hunting for treasure um there's mm. literal shooting gallery mini games just more training you're aiming and i think all of that is to prepare you for you know fighting the regenerators and those later missions that have more snipers yeah so so overall like the fundamental gameplay here when combined with the uh awesome set pieces that incorporate this aiming as their core mechanic instead of deviating from it endlessly to give you cinematic moments phenomenal yeah like it's it's just it's just a good game but while i have some problems with the difficulty of some of these um fights uh i would say that the ambushes are like 10 out of 10s and the rest of the game is like it's still a comfortable eight yeah it's never it's not like bad it's just not always firing on all cylinders for me
Okay, so well, let's go to the second music break. I know Patrick wanted mm-hmm. to do the save room, which um, I, I understand why it's really great. Um, <laughs> it's just the Dark Souls character creation music again. Yeah, again, I, ju- I just I just put it in every Resi episode we get. Uh huh. So this is the uh, save room music. Enjoy. So that was the save room music, definitely uh, one of my favorite tracks. Uh, Very similar to the Resi 1 save room music, which is why I love it to pieces. So we're going to shift gears a bit. We've sung our praises of the combat, but this game is more than just its fundamental combat. There is another ugly beast that's going to rear its head, and that is the quick time events. James, how did you feel about the quick time events in this game? Do you think that they were an additive thing on the whole, or do you think it's a complex thing with uh, positives and negatives? Um, So whenever a boulder was rolling behind me and I had to mash, I was hating my life. I don't really enjoy that shit at all. It's not very fun or, you know, cool to watch. Um, Whenever there was, like, an enemy that had an attack that needed to be reacted to, I was okay with that one um specifically with mm, some of the enemies less so with one of the bosses which just spams them at you Mm -hmm. um when they did it occasionally i think it was like you know a good thing to keep you awake (laughs) did did you like them when they were in cutscenes? uh not really no because it makes the cutscene unskippable (laughs) right (laughs) so um these quick time events for me are just complete trash the one time i thought that they were good was that one you know when you're in the underground lab and you're getting chased by the thing that can attack you from the from the floor yes. and you had to press it to dodge? Yep. I thought it worked well there. Yeah, I agree. But um overall what I funnily enough what I think this game is lacking and I f- I feel like this would improve the game although it would require something of a redesign is a dodge button. Yeah. Do you think there's let let me let me explain exactly what kind of dodge it is though. So Resi 3 Remake introduced a dodge, but the way this dodge worked, and I think the reason it it has merit in the context of this game, and the the way they balanced it, is they basically added a lot of recovery frames to it. So you could use the dodge to, I guess, perfectly iframe basically through an attack if you timed it correctly. But then there was a heavy recovery period of like a second afterwards. So if you just dodged into an enemy, you were instantly vulnerable to enemies surrounding you. If you mistimed the dodge, you were instantly vulnerable. It it was a way to include a dodge that would let you evade enemy attacks without it being a quick time event. Do you think there's any room for a dodge or do you think that's crazy? I don't think there's need for it, basically. I think the the... 
example you gave was a fine use of QTEs. I think they just probably didn't understand when and when it wasn't suitable, and they often included it badly, I think. I think they could have, with some better design, you know, have had it not be annoying. I just think those sections with the boulders could have just been cut entirely. They do mm. nothing for the game. Um, I much preferred, like, reaction things like the trucks that were driving down the hill and you have to quickly snipe the driver. To me, that's, you know, mm -hmm. making good use of the core mechanics in a quick time reaction kind of way um, without it being a literal quick time event. But this is why I think that the that some kind of dodge, and it doesn't need to be a powerful dodge, it could be a weak dodge. I think that I think that it could have been a core mechanic. And I think that the quick time events were not a core mechanic, and that's kind of why they felt bad. If instead of if a if a boss kind of like swung at, you know, did an attack against you, and instead of doing a quick time event, you could use the dodge to avoid it. And you could use the dodge, you know, if someone's swinging a chainsaw at you, you could use a dodge to avoid it instead of always blasting them. I think that that would have been an additive thing to this game. And I think that getting that into the core mechanics of the game would have been better than what they actually did. Part of me agrees with you, and part of me feels like I've played so many games with a dodge in them at this point that not having one is kind of refreshing, honestly. That's fair, yeah. Because, it, I mean, dodges are overpowered, I guess, which is the heart of the problem. Yeah, and they're very pervasive. Like, I think fundamentally it's like one of the best most solid game mechanics out there that so many games use because it's just so good um but i mm. do think there is something to be said for variety um and you know i'm perfectly happy with them having those quick time events if they're used properly did you um let, let's talk a bit about the boss battles James, yep. because i i feel like this is this is particularly where i felt the lack of a dodge mechanic was perhaps limiting what these fights could do i found for most of these boss fights my approach was to run to one end of the room shoot the enemy dodge past them by kind of awkwardly running past their attacks rinse and repeat until the enemy was dead yeah so the first fight in the barn with the you know the the two levels and the guy chasing after you i thought that was fun because the environment presented a bit of fun traversal um the the fight against Napoleon, I'm going to call him, um, Salazar. was a non-fight. Well, I shot a rocket at him, like, so he died. <laughs> he died in one hit. I don't actually know what that fight was. You you shoot a thing, it opens a pod, then you shoot him. It's, like, really very anticlimactic, even without the rocket. Right, okay. Um, well, I figured you would have had to do it, like, three times or something. But, yeah, I, I shot the eye, it opened the chest, I rocketed his face, and he yep. died. That's I just shot him with a magnum, same thing. It it's not a very good right, fight. Okay. Um Krauser The quick time event boss. Yeah, you need to use the knife against him to do it in time, basically. Um Oh, I didn't I used the Magnum, but I used like all of my Magnum bullets. Yeah, so basically I died like four times to him and then when I beat him I ran out of time and the tower exploded. Because you still need to run out yeah, of Yeah, if you use the knife, he dies in like three knife attacks what yeah i mean i guess there are kind of clues to that, that yeah in the cutscene yeah, yeah, yeah. Which i missed and then had to look up because i just could not beat him in time with like i didn't have much ammo at that point i had like so many health items i i had probably six full heals and i used them all on that fight yeah i can't i kind of wish i'd learned the fight instead because my problem with that fight is because it was so heavy on quick time events 
he would like lock you into a quick time event sometimes so you'd be like getting ready for a dodge and it would say okay we're initiating yep. this quick time event and i'd be like <laughs> what the fuck and i'd take damage that happens so many times i feel like if i just failed a few times i would have been able to deal with it a lot easier instead i just used all my healing items and kind of base you know magnum my way through the issue so yeah i liked the first one and the last one i didn't really care much for the one on the lake with the big fish um mm. I, I didn't mind the big ogre things um but you know i much preferred fighting regular enemies in this game and i normally love boss fights in games but this one uh, i found them kind of average honestly definitely well below the really good encounters yeah i i agree i think that um like I said, my problem was that I wasn't really enjoying avoiding their attacks, and they were just all bullet sponges, so you just yep. pour shitloads of ammo into them. And often I'd go in the fight, I'd be like, ah, oh, I have 250 pistol bullets. Well, guess we're getting some use out of these pistol bullets, baby. So I'd make it an excruciatingly long fight, because once you've figured out how to dodge, like, move past their patterns or bait a particular attack, you can just get them to do it endlessly. So it's just very safe to kill to kill these enemies with not much risk to yourself once you've figured them out. Yeah, I will say that I think most of them are at least visually cool. Most of them mm -hmm. are just a person that's infected with the thing and they just like, you know, they twist and morph and look into these really, you know, horrifying things. I thought that aspect of the boss fights was well done. Mm, the body the, horror, once again, is, is very well is done. It's great. Yeah, yeah. It, they looked awesome. It was just that the actual fighting them was kind of you know whatever but i there's not too many of them i'm fine for them to be there i don't think they you know necessarily detract from the game at all that is part of the variety right yeah absolutely um so i wanted to talk a bit about you know the fact that this is a, there's a fair amount of escorting in this game actually because you have ashley who is with you for a number of sections um and i have to say this is probably the best implementation of an escort style gameplay that i've ever seen in a game basically what it comes down to is that ashley is like parented behind you and the camera zooms out a bit and she sticks in the same spot behind you if you run if you sprint she is glued behind you so you know you're not following an annoying npc that walks a bit too slowly they're not super vulnerable because you can like spin around and get them out of danger uh, it's basically the best thing that you could hope for. And in the water section where you boost her up and then have to shoot things that are going for her, that was great, I thought. Mm. Um, so really, this is like the... To me, this is like the shining example of how to do escorting well. Um, I thought that basically every section with Ashley was enjoyable. Yeah, my favorite thing about her is if you are trying to aim at enemies and Ashley is in the way, she'll crouch over and get out of the way immediately. Yeah. So she's not like even in the way for you trying to Ever. shoot or deal with other enemies. You you can if there are difficult uh, parts, you can get it to hide in a bin. You can get it to wait at any point. Like that section in the room with the four knights that come to life, you can just get it to wait in the section before that, and then yep, you can just go in there yourself. Yeah, I did exactly the same thing. I knew what was coming when I saw that room. It looked like a boss fight uh, room. So yeah, I um. I died because I had her with me and she got killed. But yeah, I can't was... imagine doing that with Ashley. It sounds impossible. Yeah, it was that was on me. That was not like a problem with the AI or anything. So, you know, that's a good thing to me. Um, 
I thought uh, I actually there was a couple of times when an enemy grabbed her and I just blasted the enemy with the shotgun and it just killed her. Instead. <laughs> like, it is. Yeah, that's on me. I uh, the one thing that I wish they'd done more is this mechanic where Ashley can get captured, because I think that you know how I said that the game often puts you in a defensive posture. If the oh, game yeah. had enemies who were not interested in killing in you, but just would do run buys and grab her, that's another way to force me out of out my, of the corner. Yeah, yeah, out of the corner because then I actually have to somehow get through her, kill the guy to rescue her the other thing is you know those invisible insects get a few of those happening in the midst of those village fights all of a sudden sitting in a corner is not a good idea at all because you're getting ambushed basically yeah sorry to bring up that old point but there were some ways that they could have made these encounters way harder and they kind of didn't which is fair enough but um yeah, I, I just wish that they'd uh, pushed push some of these mechanics more, and mm. that's how I feel about the escort thing. Like, it, it's a, it's funny. It's a shining example of how to do an escort thing because it's barely an escort thing, right? I agree. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the same with all those like those t the on rail sections it's because they're barely on rail sections. Yeah, yeah, they're more. They're just part of the game. Um, I just think this is absolutely the way to do all this variety stuff again and like um, what, what i'm saying is they could have had ashley getting captured as a gameplay mechanic and they didn't but maybe that would that was annoying people too much yeah they could have just taken it out yeah um yeah so let's talk a bit about um upgrades and resource management um and then that lead us into um difficulty scaling which this game actually does have I mostly enjoyed this. I thought that the game introduced new upgrades and new weapons at a pretty solid pace um, and that you got to try new things. Maybe there could have been a more variety. I felt like I wasn't really making choices. There was a couple of guns I didn't use at all or even buy. Um, so I guess, you know, maybe there is just enough. But um, on the whole, I thought it added to the game. Um, I enjoyed that Halo feeling of p picking weapons to suit the enemies. And, um, you know, um, every time there was a new thing in the shop, I was excited. Obviously, every time I could upgrade my inventory space, I did that first. Um, <laughs> but, too. you know, um, I was happy with it. I thought that the increase in ammo and grenades and that kind of thing meant that there was more time spent picking stuff up between, you know, combat encounters, and I always loved that kind of thing. Yeah, and I thought that the um, the way the loot works in this game fed back into that very nicely, because money does drop in the game, but it's also satisfying to find rare artifacts, and a lot of them are secrets, like kind of secrets. You know, they'll be hidden behind, you shoot some explosive barrels to open a wall, or there's like a not-so-obvious path off to the side, you're yep. shooting stuff off the roof a lot of the time. So every time I go in a room, I was like scanning the roof to make sure there's nothing hidden over there. And the game even like gives you little hints towards where those treasures are. Like my favorite one is at one point you can sit on uh, Saddler's throne. I don't know if you did that, James. Uh, I didn't sit on it, but I did yeah. find the, the thing in that room. Yeah. Well, when you sit on it, you get a brief moment, like a perspective of you looking towards that part of the roof. So and you it, can see the shine. Yeah. yeah, you can see the shiny. Yeah. So I I enjoyed collecting loot and cashing it in for money and spending it to upgrade my weapons a lot. Um, and like you, James, I didn't use every weapon. I was pretty vanilla. I went um, the Red 9, uh, the Striker shotgun, 
the semi-auto rifle and the magnum i didn't use the mine launcher never got the rocket launcher i used the rocket launcher. i didn't get the mine launcher either i should have right. um i didn't get the red nine i stuck with that double hit pistol i was like this will be more efficient um the shotgun i didn't get the auto one um so you know there was a lot of variety i thought and it was fun to find new things and it's fun it to go. upgrade as well yeah yeah it was and figuring out which thing to use critically i think that the game doesn't let you buy ammo just guns mm. um which is important to the tension i think but it's not like you're ever going to run out of ammo in this game anyway is it pat no, before we go into that, I just wanted to ask you a bit about, and this ties into the upgrade system. Did you find Act 5 when you're on the military base too easy? Because this is kind of the point where your weapons are pretty much mostly fully upgraded. And while it does have some uh, new tough enemies like the guys with the miniguns, I felt that at this point that my arsenal was... Well, apart from the regenerators, I was easily, easily dealing with everything that came my way. And I think this is partly a consequence of having an upgrade system like this. I don't think so. That didn't happen to me. I felt like the combat encounters got more complex later on. They were throwing so many enemies at you mm. um, that I wasn't really... Remember, I didn't have the Red Nine either, so I was using my basic pistol a lot still. So enemies yep. were still quite tanky compared to me. Um, the minigunners were a bit threatening uh regenerators obviously that boss in the cage man that mm -hmm. ate all my magnum ammo um, <laughs> and then krauser and you know so i've you know found a fair challenge near the end too um yeah but for I... me it was the castle was absolutely the highlight which is like the whole middle section of the game for me was phenomenal like i loved that whole castle bit it was it was great i thought that the game kind of took a downturn towards the end not that it was shit it was just um less enjoyable it was basically just that helicopter bit i thought like um i really liked that thing with the traps uh and the minecart um mm. i really liked the regenerators and the labs i really liked that bit you were talking about where with the quick time events and the thing popping up from the floor and the ceiling mm. um i thought the last boss was the best of the boss fights um there was you know that section that second bit with the porcupine regenerator the bit with the regenerators where you're moving the barrels like mm -hmm. the bit with ashley with the circle room where you had to knock things into the lava pit um i thought there was heaps of good encounters in the second half of the game uh the last last third yeah basically everything from the island island onwards yeah last quarter yeah i thought there was heaps of good stuff there too um with just that helicopter bit being a significant and maybe krauss's bit too being a pretty significant drop in quality yeah i i think it just had less ambushes probably which is maybe why i didn't enjoy it as much yeah there was less like designed rooms there was mm. like long sections of fighting dudes which yeah or the lab which is like lots of shorter short range encounters yeah but like the lab was like my favorite part of the whole game i guess so wow um, okay yeah so maybe that's why let's talk a little bit about difficulty uh because this game has dynamic difficulty doesn't it james yeah so we played um max pain previously and i hated the dynamic difficulty in that game i felt like it either made the game way too hard or way too easy and there wasn't a good middle ground um 
With this one, I actually forgot it had it until later on into the castle, because the game does a really good job of masking it in some clever ways, I thought. Um, and it's never so strong or weak that, you know, it feels bullshit or boring. Um, it does what it's intended to do, which is to get it into the right difficulty for you as a player. Um, so effectively what the game does is it will, like enemies will randomly drop money or ammo. And if you are getting low on resources, the enemies will drop more stuff. There's crates that you can break with your knife, and sometimes there's nothing in them, but sometimes there is ammo. And, you know, the difficulty scaling will make it drop more or less, depending on how well you're doing. But it's really because, you know, if you play the game for the first time and you break a crate, there's really no way, you know, for you to know that the ammo that came out of that wasn't, you know, what always comes out of that crate, right? You've never broken that crate before. Or it could be random, you know, for all, you know, near the end, you kind of caught on that it's like feeding you ammo. But at least to begin with, um, I think it does a good job of masking that. The enemies also take different amounts of hits to kill based on the scaling, but... The AI gets better or worse as well. They play yeah. more aggressively and are more devious when they're on the higher mode. But even at the same difficulty level, the enemies are a bit erratic too. And like, I chalked up stuff, you know, there's localized hitboxes. So I thought maybe I missed a shot and that's why it took an extra hit. I was doing all sorts of mental gymnastics in my brain to completely ignore that the scaling was there. And I honestly completely forgot until uh, I got to that water room, died, and then the second time I did it, the archers didn't spawn and was like, oh, I see what's happening. Well, firstly, one of the good things about the dynamic difficulty is that it's got a top-end cap. Uh, the thing about Max Payne is that the game just gets harder to the point till you get one shot. Uh, Resi 4 has a cap, and that cap is what the professional mode, the hard mode, is what the game is played on. So the game is only getting easier after a certain point it's not it's, it's only getting so hard and that so hard mode is probably the mode that the developers intended for you to play it on yeah um overall i think that for the purpose of an action game adaptive difficulty like this where you're just trying to move through the story particularly when it has this cap on how hard the game can get is a lot less offensive than in other contexts however i think that there is something lost when you have adaptive difficulty, and that is you're not giving the player the ability to overcome a difficult situation. Uh, the games we've played that don't have this, uh, Resident Evil 1, Gorky 17, even Pathologic, yep. games that are not really interested in crafting the perfect experience for the player. I would even add to this something like XCOM 2, when a Chosen shows up and fucks you over. Sometimes suffering through a situation where you have insufficient resources and life is hard and you've got no easy way to get out of a situation can be the very best part of a video game yeah and it won't feel that way at the time it'll feel absolutely miserable but that'll be the thing you remember because you haven't sailed through and the game hasn't won it for you you've had to overcome that adversity on your own terms and when you have a system like this that just isn't going to happen so it's not as offensive here as it is as, as it was in Max Payne, but on, on a fundamental level, this kind of design irritates me because you're cutting off the 
downswing, the negative swing part of video games, which to me is is some uh, some of the most memorable moments of video games in my entire life. So I'm not a big fan of this on a baseline level, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think I'm as outraged about it as I used to be. Yeah, I think that in this game, they implemented it about as well as they could have, honestly. Like, it's very uh, subtle in a lot of ways. I, I think people get upset about this more when they know about it. Like, mm-hmm. if the game is able to completely hide the fact that it's doing it, like, a lot of people are just going to have a better experience, right? And I think the game, you know, trying to cater to a new, you know, uh, player base, I think this was the right way to go. I think they did a really good job of this. Um, I know that this system, like, they go on later to use this exact same thing in God Hand, one of the, you know, developers, um, and that game is a bit more explicit about it. It's like an active mechanic of trying to make it harder or easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they did it really well here. I think it's inoffensive. I think that the fact that hard mode basically disables it and sets it to the max difficulty constantly still allows you to do that thing where you feel like you've overcome a challenge because it's no longer you know active. And I think that the majority of the new player base, you know, is not going to probably care about smashing their head over and over against one of the counters in this game on that hd mod can you select professional mode from the start there might be an option in the settings to enable it but i didn't have it you know by default on my main menu with just yeah, if the I, mod installed. I, I reckon i probably would have enjoyed this game more if it was just busting my balls more maybe i, I don't know it's hard to say obviously i didn't play it i think this is the kind of game that inspires repeat playthroughs for a lot of people yeah i mean there's a bunch of unlockable content like there's so many game modes and like there's this like stupid unlockable you can get where ashley is just in a full suit of knight armor (laughs) and is invulnerable to like damage whatsoever it's so stupid um there's like new weapons you can get on new game plus there is a new game plus mode um you know the game's like packed full of like secrets and stuff like that it's awesome um so definitely feature complete and a great little title um i wanted to do one more section before we probably wrap up which was um i wanted to go back and look at the old reviews that this game got and look at the things that reviewers liked and disliked and i wanted to ask patrick if he agreed with them to see (laughs) if those reviews kind of you know stood up okay so um the first one i found so i basically went through metacritic and i cherry picked ones that i thought would make for like entertaining discussion so you know just to be clear so the first one was from one up who gave the game a 95 and they said this is the best looking gamecube game ever released and it features a story better than 99% of those on the mark. Um, would you agree <laughs> oh my with God. that? I mean, like, part of the problem is that video game stories are trash. So may- maybe that is a factually true statement. But um, that sounds like it's trying to say the story was good. So I, I don't think I can agree with that one, James. Mm, yeah, me neither. <laughs> um, the hit zone based target uh, so this is from combo that gave it a 99 the hit zone based targeting system for example makes anything else in the genre seem obsolete and primitive it's that sophisticated the game that comes to mind probably is dead space uh yep a series i haven't played actually but that i know a decent amount about because to my knowledge dismemberment is a key mechanic in that game yep 
And I know that Resi 4 is an inspiration for Dead Space, so that's probably one that stands out. It's probably been done done better in that game than Resi 4, right? Have, have you played those games? I have not, actually. Okay. Um, maybe we'll have to now. But it's certainly, a, certainly not a common thing in video games and not used in this kind of mechanical way. It's mostly used as like a... I don't know, like a like a tech feature almost. Yes. It, it, it looks good. It's immersive. It's not as gameplay centric. Resi 2 uses Dismemberment, the remake, a lot because you're, you're shooting off uh, legs a lot to buy yourself space to slip by, which has the additional thing of like you you do choosing what to do with your ammo, yep. whether you shoot three bullets to shoot a leg off to have a slightly less dangerous zombie in the hallway <laughs> or shoot eight to kill it. So... That's the other game that comes to mind. But yeah, not not an outrageous statement. All right. And the last one, I wanted to point this one out because I once I read it, I was like, that's true. Um, Gaming Nexus 96. Um, an area that kind of let me down was the audio. It features support for Adobe ProLogic 2 decoders, but it doesn't take full advantage of the hardware. Yes, there's multi-channel support and the sound does come from all sides, but it's not done all that well. Um, and I wanted to point this out, actually, because I found that it was impossible to tell directions based on what sounds were coming uh, you know, through my headphones. I found the directional audio to be terrible. Maybe that was on purpose because it muddies where things are coming from and makes you feel tense. But it was annoying. Like it, it, They could be literally coming from anywhere. It, it, the sound could be in the wrong spot. That happened to me all the time. Hmm, it's funny. I was originally going to say, and I forgot to mention this, that I thought that the sound design was a really good part of this video game because enemies make grunts and noises before they say, throw an axe at you or charge up a minigun. The flail, I agree with that. And, yeah, like, but I think that on reflection, you're probably right about the directional audio. I guess most of the time you only really care if enemies are behind you or in front of you, but actually playing it, I would often get confused as to like how far enemies are away. So maybe maybe that is true, but it's Maybe it's, it's intentional, because, right? Like, well, on the, on the other hand, like I thought the sound design was good, but maybe it's not as good as I think. Yeah, I, well, I agree with that. I think all the cues are fantastic. All the sounds are great. I love the sounds they make when you start an encounter and they just yell for reinforcements, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that, that chainsaw you know noise is terrifying yeah and all the creepy breathing noises the regenerators make oh my god i like the um, way the cultists are always murmuring so you kind of know yeah. where they are yeah that's that's an interesting one i'd have to get back in the game and actually reflect a bit more on that because definitely i was confused but i always thought it was me not the game but maybe that was wrong now i have more but 90 percent of the ones i read said stuff like this is the best looking game ever <laughs> and it's hard for me to disagree with the awesome mod i used so we'll just say that that still holds up <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think like from a one of my problems with this game i don't it's not really a problem it's like very well lit uh so yeah. when people are saying it's atmospheric well it's mostly atmospheric but because it's so bright all the time, that takes it takes a lot of the edge off. I think. Yep. Uh, so yeah, the, that's... the the trails for the remake of this game look so much darker, like lighting wise, it looks way spookier. Which I'm like, I want to play that because this. But game then again, fun. the village was always the spookiest part of the game, so it'll be interesting to see if they can do some get capture that in the castle. Oh man, and the, and the lab. 
I can't imagine how freaky the regenerators are going to be in the remake. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, I did have one final story uh, of my idiocy uh, that you might enjoy. You know okay. how there are quick time events in this game, James? Yeah, we did talk about that, yeah. Yeah, so the most common, I mean, there are two main quick time event triggers. There's uh, right trigger plus left trigger, easy enough. Yep. And the other one is A plus B. Yep. Did you know that your, the location of A and B on an Xbox controller is different to that on a GameCube? Yes. Did you know that I didn't realize this oh, no. straight away? I died seven times to that bolt. Seven That's times so to the first boulder. And I thought that the game was just fucking bullshit and That's that my so timing good. was off until I was like, oh uh, my God, and realized I needed to press A plus X on my Xbox controller to dodge. So I was, uh, that was like, I don't know, one quarter of my deaths to the same, to the first boulder quick time event. That's so that was pretty great. Well, the mod actually lets you disable the quick time events and auto mash through the boulder stuff. So if you really hate that stuff, you can. So I just think you should have played that, honestly. And I think everyone else should play with that mod. All right, let's, um, let's wrap up, Patrick. I think it's time to um, give our final thoughts on this one. What did you think of Resident Evil 4? Uh, Resident Evil 4 is a fantastic action game. I think the <laughs> primary thing for me coming into this is that I needed to disconnect it in my head from Resident Evil 1. Because as far as I'm concerned, this is barely survival horror. Like the fact that the resource management works on dynamic difficulty means that you barely need to do any resource management. There's a little bit of it where you're prioritizing some weapons over the other, but the game really throws resources at you like no tomorrow. But as long as you can disconnect yourself from that and view this as an action game, a tactical action game, it's fucking great. It's the best tactical action game I've ever played. This is better than Halo 1 in terms of its raw gameplay. It's it's great. I do think there is a significant problem with having with defensive play being so favored in the sections where you're advancing, but the ambush sections are so good and the way that the game continually mixes it up with substantive cinematic set pieces that still utilize the core mechanics of the game has simply not been done better in any other game I've ever played. So yeah, Resident Evil 4, fantastic game. Is it perfect? No. Do I keep envisioning ways that it could be even better if it was more difficult with some more creative, ambushy kind of enemy types? Yes. But what's here is is really good, and I had a great time, and I have to thank James once again for picking a great Resident Evil game. Thumbs up all around. Resident Evil 4 is a fantastic game that basically anyone who has any interest in survival horror should give a go. It is like the perfect entry point into, you know, this genre, in my opinion. There is quality of life out the arse, you know, stuff like there is a jump down button and you can't fall off ledges, um, stuff like that. Uh, there is little shines on all of the loot everywhere. You can buy a map that lets you see where all the loot is. Um, the game does everything it can to accommodate new players with its difficulty scaling and that kind of thing. On top of that, it's still a great game in terms of design. Um, the enemies in this game are some of my favorite in any game ever. I think the progression from, you know, the enemies at the beginning to the enemies at the end of the game is, is fantastic. Um, and I think that the regenerators in particular are just some of my favorite, you know, sequence in a video game ever. 
um you know patrick obviously <laughs> yeah has, i know has... i was like hmm, I, want, I wonder what it's like to fight the regenerators that would have yeah, been nice that would have been nice yeah um but encounter design and structure are also just fantastic so you know this one is a huge thumbs up from me i can understand why a lot of people hold this as their favorite game ever best quality of life feature is the fact that leon doesn't climb down ladders he yeah. always just jumps always down jumps. immediately yeah. it's so good it doesn't matter how big the fall is he just jumps down. jumps off yeah <laughs> so silly yeah i mean i like the goofy tone and i like all of the like stupid you know humor that comes from the gameplay story could be a lot better though um to be honest but you know whatever like i said at least it's aware that it's ridiculous i mean the midget napoleon is just like i mean like they're not trying to be scary they're trying no, to be ridiculous it's... and the bit where the the, the statue chases you that was <laughs> great yeah like i was like that's gonna happen i know it yeah i was ready for it to come to life immediately but it took a while so yeah. it was quite quite funny but that's what I mean by you can enjoy it for its silliness uh, as opposed to it being scary. There's some level of enjoyment to be had here with the story. Yeah, I think that people who, you know, horror games freak them out usually would still be able to enjoy this one. It really does a good job of, like, taking the edge off. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that about does it. Thank you so much for listening to us talk about Resident Evil 4. We are Patrick Arthur and James Turlings, and this was a Retrospectors podcast. You can find all of our content on our website, which is rspodcast.net. It's got links to all of our episodes, a bunch of articles that we've written, as well as, most importantly, our Discord server. We've got other social media, but Discord's where we do all of our interaction with our listeners. So if you've enjoyed the episode, if you'd like to suggest us a game, if uh, there's another Resi game that we should play and prioritize above the others, maybe one of the non-mainstream ones that does something interesting or unique, please drop by our Discord server. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear your thoughts. All right, with that out of the way, I guess it's time for Patrick to tell us what awful game we'll be playing next fortnight you're in luck james i was considering playing several games that would bring you pain but instead i think i'm gonna pick one that brings you joy we're staying with the gamecube and we're doing the classic metroid prime so i loved super metroid i didn't think it was a game without flaws but i was shocked at how well that game was designed and it's made me want to play more metroid games and I know that Metroid Prime is very highly regarded as a take on the 3D Metroidvania, less emphasis on shooting and more on puzzling and exploring your way through, uh, through its expansive environment. So it sounds right up my alley and a nice antidote to the, uh, to the linear cinematic games that we seem to have done quite a lot recently. So uh, you, are you familiar with this game, James? Have you played it before? Yeah, I've actually started it about three times and then never finished it um is in i've played like two hours each time and then just dropped it Ooh. immediately so i don't know if i'm gonna like this one actually but i'm willing to give it a proper go i suspect that once i push through the opening acts it'll be quite fun um was there was there a particular reason you bounced off it that you know of or you were just not feeling it this wasn't feeling it i don't think it was doing much for me with its level design in the first couple of hours but honestly you know, that's probably the bit where it's going to be the least interesting. So mm-hmm. um, so I kind of hope I do enjoy it and that I was wrong those other three times. But if not, I'm looking forward to explaining and understanding why. <laughs> <laughs>
why it didn't work yeah well anyway i i hope you guys enjoy i'm certainly looking forward to playing this even if i have to use a controller for an fps game what a nightmare but you know i'll try and get over it um thanks so much for listening to us today and we'll see you in three weeks time for metroid prime see you then